2: From KQED. Hey everyone! Hey! Welcome to Political Breakdown Live. We are so excited to be at our first ever live event for Political Breakdown at KQED's brand spanking new headquarters. Uh, As you probably guessed, I'm Marisa Lagos.
0: And I'm Scott Schaefer, and we're super excited to have people to talk to. Usually we just like talking into a microphone, so it's great to have a real live audience here tonight. We're
2: here, of course, tonight to sit down with the most powerful woman in Washington, Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She has had an extraordinary life in politics and is, of course, at the center of the debate playing out right now in our nation's capital.
0: Please welcome Speaker Nancy Pelosi.
2: Well, Speaker, thank you for taking a few uh, minutes out of your busy schedule to be with us tonight.
3: My honor, Marissa. Thank you, Marissa. So we want to
2: start with the threats to democracy that we're seeing playing out throughout the nation, Um, from the big lie about the election last year uh, to local elections officials being ousted for upholding our democratic values um, to gerrymandering and and the prospect of a very different electoral map uh, in the next election. What do you say to people who are so worried about our democracy, and what are Democrats doing to
3: protect it? Uh, it, There is a threat to our democracy now. Uh, It is uh, pretty self-evident on January 6th that there was a physical insurrection incited by the President of the United States on the Capitol. But every day since then, there have been, and each week, there have been uh, pieces of legislation throughout the country to undermine the sanctity of the vote, uh, to put up obstacles of participation for people, to make it harder for people to vote, and even, if that were not bad enough, to nullify the vote. But here's the thing. Uh, We take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. Central to that Constitution is a democracy predicated on democratic elections, where people weigh in. Uh, There is an attempt to make sure that the people who weigh in are the same people who may weighed in a long time ago to undermine the uh, people of color and newer people coming into our community as well as into our voting age who may be women or LGBTQ or newcomers to our country but eligible now uh, to vote. And that just isn't what America is about, a constant reinvigoration of America nobody said it better than ronald reagan ronald reagan if you look at his speech the last speech he made as president of the united states this is the last speech i'll make as president and i want to communication communicate a message to a country i love and he talked about the the statue of liberty and the beacon of hope that and An invitation that is, and how America is preeminent in the world because we have an open door and constantly have newcomers to our country. Well, if we were to close that door, it would be, we would no longer be preeminent in the world.
0: Well, I think Ronald Reagan would not recognize the Republican Party, nor would probably Richard Nixon, uh, in terms of how it's changed. And, you know, you talk about uh, election integrity. You see in polls, 51% of college-educated Republicans think that Donald Trump did not lose the election. Uh, So how do you undo that? I mean, is there a parallel in our history, uh, maybe going all the way back to the Civil War, uh, for this kind of threat to the democracy?
3: I would say, yes, the Civil War is probably uh, the closest to this. But to your point, Marisa, uh, what we're doing about it is we have two bills passed in the House, but in the Senate now. Uh, one of them, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. John, it's named for John Lewis, but he actually wrote the other bill, which is uh, protect America, the vote to um, uh, to undo these bad laws, which were coming on the scene even before he left us. Uh, undo the nullification of elections that they're trying to do now, which is beyond. Uh, I mean, what? well, in any event, it also has the criteria for redistricting in terms of voting rights and constitution and sense of uh, community interest. It has a stronger voice for the grassroots, uh, matching funds for uh, small donors uh, to give more voice, which is a, a democratizing thing to reduce the role of big, dark money in politics. And that's one of probably the most popular things, to reduce the role of big, dark, special interest money secret, Uh, they'll still be able to give because the court has given them all the uh, uh, leeway to do that, but they have to disclose. And once they disclose, their their, uh, employees, their customers, their community know what they're up to when they try to stop what we're trying to do on climate change, stop what we're trying to do on gun violence protection, stop what we want to do on lowering the cost of prescription drugs. The list goes on goes and on. We and want to on. get
2: to all that. But I, I do want to ask, I mean, the House has passed these. They have been sitting in the Senate. Yeah. Obviously, you know, less controversial uh, sort of priorities are also hung up in the Senate. I mean, are you confident that this can happen, especially, you know, we have a midterm next year, um, Things could look really different, right? If Republicans were in control of Congress yeah. last year, during you know yeah. the aftermath of the election.
3: Well, uh, the, the, they will come up next week on the schedule. The, uh, Leader Schumer is bringing them to the Senate floor next week. Uh, they will get the Democratic votes; they'll have 50 votes. Uh, the question is, will they be able to get an exception to the filibuster rule so that they can pass? Uh, what will happen next week is we'll see if any Republicans vote for them. That isn't something that is, well, let's, we can always be hopeful. But the <laughs> but at, at once that point is made, that the integrity of the vote, the sanctity of the vote, the challenge to our democracy, really should be able to pass with 51 votes. Now, just remember this: when the Republicans were in power in the Senate and... They had a Republican president and we're just going back a few years you know they um, they brushed aside the filibuster rule and sent three justices to the Supreme Court for life on the basis of a simple majority so if they could have an appointment for life impacting everything that we do whether it's the air we breathe whether it's who we love whether it's a woman's right to choose every subject, eventually can go to the court, if they could do that with a simple majority, why shouldn't people be able to vote in a respectful way to support our democracy? I might be preaching right? to the choir here
2: on that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I want to, um, you alluded to January 6th, and of course there is a bipartisan uh, committee looking into that. Yes. Um, but I want to just ask you, uh, you were there that day, mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. along with all of your colleagues. W- where where were you? You were hustled out of the chambers. Like, what was going through your mind when that was happening? How serious did you think it was? Did you know it was? I mean, as speaker, you must have gotten some pretty high-level
3: briefings. It was a horrible day. It was a horrible day in our democracy. Uh, the... I was at the podium presiding. This was not just any day in the life of Congress. You've heard some of the Republicans say, well, it's just like any tourist day, and they were just like any tourist coming to the Capitol. But here's the thing. This was a constitutional challenge because January 6th is the day that the Constitution requires the Congress uh, to, uh, to accept the, uh, ver- the, uh, not the vote of the Electoral College. So it was on that day that they came to disrupt that constitutional process. wonderful day, having a new president, peaceful transfer of power, and the rest. And so that day was fraught with meaning. And, of course, uh, right before then, uh, the insider of the insurrection was encouraging these people uh, to go down there and do that. But actually, we are in the chamber, and we are... They have these mahogany boxes, and in the boxes are the certifications of the states. And then they take it out by alphabetical order and uh, read what it is. And they first, one of the first ones was Arizona, one of the first ones that they would challenge. So we're in the middle of that uh, challenge, and what happens is you're in joint session, so it's a speaker and the vice president presiding. Once, and they read that Alabama, Alabama, Alaska, you know, then they go to Arizona, then somebody makes a challenge, and when that challenge has a House and Senate challenger, we separate, they go to the Senate to debate it, we debate it in the House. So we're debating the Arizona challenge. And you were I, presiding, right? And I was presiding, and security just came in and said, you you have to leave. And I said, well, I thought... because shall we say, we have some exuberances in the house from the other side to, you know, challenge this and that. And, that. and I said, don't worry about that. I can, you know, I'm going to uh, No, they said, you have to leave now. You have to leave now. And they just really pulled me from the podium to the point that I, I had my phone there so I could be a check on the timekeeper as to the time that people were speaking. And I, I just even didn't even take that with me, just pulled out went to a non-disclosed location. As soon as we got there, we could see, which was minutes away, what was happening outside. And the first thing you think of, of course, is the other members who do not have the kind of security a speaker has, but also the staff, the staff, especially the staff, because we sign up for this, those of us who run for office. But the staff, and many of them young, idealistic, they're... Traumatized. I will never forgive Ronald. Re- Doug, what's his name?
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: Making for, up for saying uh, something nice about uh, him. Yeah.
3: S- slipped out the, the Republicans uh, for that because they saw, they were there, they saw what was happening. Members crawling across this, the. See, because of COVID, we were not just all on the House floor, we're up in the balcony, and you saw many some of that on TV where the members had to crawl on their bellies like a reptile to get to the place where they could be taken out because these people were descending. So it was beyond anything that you could have ever imagined. So when people say, well, how come you weren't prepared for that? Nobody could have been prepared for the president of the United States inciting an insurrection of that magnitude. People coming armed, armed, armed. So when they said, well, we were just uh, getting a photo op, no, they weren't they weren't. So it was, it was horrible, but was really horrible about it. Say it's now getting to be, for, oh, so we're, we're at this undisclosed and they're saying, well, maybe we should just bring all the members over here and then you could do the, you know, the mahogany boxes over here. Said so, no, I said, no, we're not. We're going back to the Capitol. We are going back to the Capitol. And to his credit, Mitch Agreed that that would be what we, you know, we would do. Go back to cup In the course of all of this, we're finding out, of course, that the Democrats have won Georgia. So it, it uh, uh, <laughs> roller coaster of a <laughs> the day. next day. <laughs> and and what was interesting is to see George congratulate. I mean, Mitch congratulate um, Chuck Schumer. Congratulations. So we knew at least he understood what happened. Uh, Is that
0: pretty heartfelt, do you think? Hmm? Was that yeah, a heartfelt no, was congratulations? Heart?
3: What? Heart? heart? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not four-chambered, warm-bodied heart, that's the sure. <laughs> but but um, so it all happens, it's now four o'clock in the morning, and we take the vote. And overwhelmingly, the Republican members of Congress voted against accepting the the vote of the Electoral College. That was as offensive as these bozos coming in with their foul mouths and poo-poo all over the floor and the rest of that. I mean, it was disgusting. What was really disgusting was that the members of the House of Representatives, the Republican members, overwhelmingly voted not to accept. Mm -hmm. So, So that's... So, Nonetheless, all the more reason for us to pass this legislation so that we can uh, undo the nullification that they want to do and also remove the barriers to participation that they have out there.
0: We're going to take a short break right now. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation from Wednesday night with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. kqED.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an S thanks for our radio and podcast audience I just want to say if you're just joining us you're listening to political breakdown I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos our guest today is House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. I wanna ask, you obviously have a lot on your plate in DC. You took care of the debt limit and yeah. funding the government for a few months. That's uh, still some big issues in front of you, the trillion dollar infrastructure bill and the whatever number of trillions it ends up being for the democratic economic priorities. You were instrumental in getting the ACA, the Affordable Care Act passed uh, mm-hmm. back in 2010, I guess it was. Um, and Democrats paid a big price for that the next year. They got shellacked, as the president said. What did you learn from that experience uh, that you think is relevant now?
3: Well, I, I don't accept the characterization that we lost the election because of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, I do think that we could have communicated it better, and, and that was, I think, some, a lesson learned. But I do think that one of the things that hurt us the most uh, was when we, when we accepted the responsibility to uh, do the TARP. You know, a year before...
0: It's okay. the asset relief package, the troubled the, asset the relief The
3: year package. before, you know, they there was a, a, a meltdown of our financial institutions in our country, and then we passed the bill. It was supposed to be half and half, Democrats and Republicans, uh, but the Republicans never came through with their half, so we had to add more names from the Democratic side. And I think that... Governance in general suffered then. It produced the Tea Party on the right and uh, Occupy Wall Street on the left, but a lot of unhappiness because the impression was that we bailed out Wall Street at the expense of Main Street, but we were bailing out the whole economy. We had to do that. If you want to know more about that, ask me, but I know you have lots of other questions. So so that left a really bad feeling because it took... 800 billion, uh, nearly 800 billion dollars to do that bailout. Now, we all got all of it back with interest, but people didn't really realize that. And I think that uh, when we, because many of the people who lost those elections didn't even vote for the Affordable Care Act. Hmm. They didn't mm-hmm. even vote for that. So I wouldn't, uh, I don't stipulate to a fact that that was what that election was about. But it was uh, because again, the Senate was long in coming, and it gave the other side the chance to mischaracterize what was there. And that, that I, I would say, was not helpful. I wonder,
0: you know, there were two things or many things probably the Democrats wanted that they didn't get in that, including a public option and right. you know, the right to negotiate drug prices. That's right. And, you know, you're a pragmatist, you know, you you sort of f- figure out what can pass and what can't, what you can get. So how do you think of it in terms of what's happening now? That prob- Well, first
3: of all, I still resent the fact that we don't have a public option. We had it in the House bill, they didn't have it in the Senate bill. And uh, and then that was what it was. But the, and, and uh, negotiating for lower prices, I've been trying to get that. We had it for six for 06 when we ran in 06 and won the Congress. We had six things we would do the first bills that we would pass in the first 100 hours, hours, not days, hours, and we did. Five of them became law. One of them did not, enabling the secretary to negotiate for lower prices. And if you see these ads on TV that Pharma takes about negotiating for lower prices is going to uh, hurt our ability to invest in research, no, it isn't. You spend more money, some of you, on ads on TV than you do on research. You spend more money on pay, uh, CEO pay and stock buy box, buybacks than you do on research. And the United States, the American taxpayer, plays a great deal of money for basic biomedical research to help you with what you do. So um, we're still making that fight. I'm not sure we'll even get it in this bill. We'll get something of that, but it won't be the, the complete package that, I've, that many of us have been fighting for a long time, but we won't, won't give up on that because it's billions, hundreds of billions of dollars that, uh, of savings for the taxpayer, lower cost for consumers, and it still has its resistance on the other side of the capital.
2: Right. I mean, are you frustrated, surprised that it seems like Senator Kristen Sinema of Arizona is, is the major sort of hurdle in that aspect of the bill from yeah. what we understand?
3: Well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, here, we're at a place where we had the president put forth an agenda. Just just to put this in context, we the president um, came into office and we passed the rescue package. The rescue package lifted... A, of the children out of poverty were living in poverty. It did put vaccines in arms, money in pockets, people in jobs, children safely on on their way back to school. It did remarkable things uh, to the tune of $1.9 trillion, a lot of money that went out there. And it was uh, a big, strong bill. And that was step one. But that was to rescue from COVID. Now we had to built back better and that and that part of it was the infrastructure bill which we need to pass but that was a, a bipartisan bill not heavy on climate not heavy on child care anything like that a bipartisan bill and president president Biden, God bless us to have President Biden. Oh my God, what a difference it is to have a Democratic president. I mean, more different than any, you know, going from one Democratic or Republican president, this is something different. But anyway, he's basically said, I want to do as much as I can in a bipartisan way on the infrastructure bill, but I will not confine my vision for the future to what we can do in a bipartisan way. We need to do the reconciliation bill. The reconciliation bill has three buckets. One is climate. I think that to pass an infrastructure bill that is not uh, totally immersed in what we have to do on climate is a dereliction of duty. You cannot build... You cannot build uh, the way you might have in 1970 In 2021. You have to take, take, and we have to meet our, our goals and we have to help other countries meet theirs. We have to do the, we have to do, we have to do the greens. So that's the climate piece. Now we'll have to come down because the money's coming down, but it will be, it will take us, to our goal. Second piece is build back better. See, build back better with climate. Build back better with women. And men too, but (laughs) with women. Because this is about the family piece of this. It's about child care. It's about child tax credit. It's about universal pre-K. It's about home health care. So many men and women have to be home to take care of someone who may be older or disabled or something in the household beyond children, or children too, but nonetheless to have not only the resources to do that so those people can go to work and pursue their careers while their, their loved ones are cared for, but also to have respect for the people who will be doing that work, to train them, to pay them adequately. This is central to family. Okay, so we child care, child tax credit, uh, home health care, universal pre-K. and and other aspects of workforce development. It's a personal piece of this that enables us to have women and people of color, many more people in the job. It's all due respect for the infrastructure bill. 90% of the jobs go to men, which is a good thing, okay. But we have to get women into the workforce for those non-traditional jobs as well as for the traditional jobs (laughs) as well. That. And then I didn't name everything, family medical leave. <laughs> it's yeah. a big
2: bill. It's a big bill. I don't know if we have time for that.
3: <laughs> okay. Well we should. <laughs> That's the country how, many, how many pages? And is then it? the third is the third piece is the health care piece. Uh, uh, strengthening the Affordable Care Act. If you strengthen the Affordable Care Act and you expand Medicaid to the states that didn't accept it before, you have almost universal coverage and then to expand the benefits of Medicare. So, health care, family care, climate, 3.5, take us right into the stratosphere. Now we have to bring it down. So it's lamb eat lamb, you know, everything is good. What do we keep? Is it a timing thing or is it a prioritizing? That's a negotiation. But that's how that? Yeah, how do you, how do you yeah. just
0: like...
2: And how do you hmm? think about that? Like.
3: All of these it's, are clearly priorities. I mean, ultimately,
0: too. it has to get approval from Cinema and Mansion, right? So, like, how do you decide?
3: Well, it is. A, 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 I'm. I think the more of the public knows what's there and how it affects them. Now, one of the shall we say observe, observations that has been made is there's so much in the reconciliation that the public just doesn't really know what it is. But overwhelmingly, they support it. And guess what? Women more so than men. Yeah, I've seen is Isn't that yeah, funny? <laughs> but men support it in a big way. But women understand what this means. This is about women in the workplace. This is about women taking the rightful place. This is about women not going to work and worrying about what's happening to their loved one at home because there has been... And by the way, I was just in Europe for the G20 and the NATO meetings. When I explained this to the people there, they all have this. Mm-hmm. You don't have that? You don't have family, medical leave? You don't have all these things? But, but, but most developed countries have these things, and we, uh, and, and we just really believe that when women succeed, America succeeds, and we're going to make this happen in this bill. And and again, it's the right thing to do, but it's better for the economy if we do it. Pragmatically, it's better thing to do.
2: Well, on that, I mean, you obviously have a bigger job than just the policies you personally support, you know, yeah. to help yeah. shepherd this. But mm-hmm. you are all thinking about the trade-offs you're going to be making, and you mentioned communication as, as a challenge after the ACA passed. I mean, what do you think is more important, most important in terms of people feeling the impacts? Is it, to your point, to shorten the lifespan of some of these programs so that they're all in there? Is it that you might have to give up some of these wonderful programs that you like?
3: Well, what we... Really want our results for the American people. So when you uh, um, make evaluations about these, you can shorten the time frame. If you shorten it too much, you lose the continuity and the impact. So it's not a comp- like something you put in a c- computer and you know something comes out. it It's judgments that have to be made, and it's hard because there's so many um, good things, but as I say, it's lamb eat lamb. It's not like, oh, well, we can get rid of that thing because nobody ever wanted that in the first place. But, but our committee chairs uh, know that they wrote these bills with their committee members. They know how if you have this, you can't have all of this. And now, what, is, what gives the best result for the American people? And it's not the last bill we will be writing. This
2: special edition of Political Breakdown was hosted by KQED Live. You can find out more about future events at kqed.org live.
0: And we want to give special shout-outs tonight to KQED's events team, especially Ryan Davis and Lance Gardner, yeah. and to our producer, Guy Marzorati, and our engineers, Jim Bennett and Katie McMurrin.
2: And most of all, thank you to Speaker Pelosi for joining us for this inaugural Political Breakdown at the Commons, and have a great night.